0: your country can do for you ask what you can do for your
1: country hello and welcome to episode 196 of public interest podcast with your host jordan cooper where we interview politicians activists advocates and others who seek to improve the state of the world we're here today with senator ron young representing district three of frederick county since 2011. senator young is on the education health and environmental affairs committee he is the former mayor of the City of Frederick from 74 to 1990, and informer former alderman preceding that term uh, for the City of Frederick from 1970 to 74. In the '90s, he was a former deputy secretary of the Department of Planning from '91 to '95, and again '96 to 2002, with a brief interlude as the deputy secretary for the Department of Natural Resources. Senator Young is a former teacher of Frederick County Public Schools from '67 to '73, a former town manager of Indian Head from 2001 to 2005 and work in the commercial real estate business. Senator Young, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing great. It's good to be here.
1: Excellent. The first question I'd like to pose to you, what are you currently doing or what have you ever done to advance the public interest and why?
0: Oh Wow. Uh, that's that's such a big question. It's uh, hard to start. Well, I go back to my years as mayor first. Uh, you know, I was born on Market Street, grew up in Frederick. Uh, I sold the town and go downhill. I uh, got involved in the politics in the 60s. I uh, ran for alderman in 69. Uh, felt kind of shut out. I was 28 when I got elected. Everybody else was 65 to 84. And they didn't include me in a lot. And I they shunned so, you
1: because of your age. I think so, yeah. But the voters trusted you. How did they feel about that? And how did the voters feel about your age when you were 28?
0: Uh, well, I ran on a campaign, uh, a slogan of Thank Young, Vote Young, and stood there on election day. <laughs>
1: and your last name's Young. Yes. For listeners who haven't caught that.
0: Uh, stand stood there on election day and watched only older people come out to vote, and I said, I'm in trouble. But I think uh, older people said, hey, it would be good to have somebody young there. So, I actually got more votes than the mayor got in that very first election.
1: Well, the year now was mm-hmm. 2017, and in 2014, you watched a significant proportion of the Maryland House of Delegates, and in fact, the whole legislature open up the freshman legislators, some of whom are in their 20s and 30s. Uh, you know, having initially entered politics in your 20s, can you reflect on the influence of having... Uh, Individuals in their twenties and thirties serving in elected office in the legislature.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's great. They they come in fresh. They come in uh, with new ideas. To some extent, they come in naive.
2: Mm-hmm. Not
0: all, but uh, many of them. Uh, but they're not bound by uh, tradition in a sense. They they can try and new ideas and think new ways. And some of them might be bad and I work out, but they, they bring a freshness that works, and I think I did that when I became mayor.
1: If there's anything over your many decades of service that you've learned, and it's kind of, if you had the opportunity to speak to Ron Young of uh, 1969 when you were running for alderman, what would you tell your younger self now? What wisdom do you wish you had then?
0: Actually, in most cases, i tell myself to do what I did. Um, I got some advice from an old politician that had been in office a long time, and it fit with what I already felt mm-hmm. and that that was um, two things one there's only one person that every day in your life you're going to look in the eyes, and that's yourself when you 're shaving, so make sure you feel comfortable looking at yourself and The other one was you come in new, and I see a lot of new people and a lot of old ones. Try to please everybody. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what you have to do and what I've tried to do, and it's even caused me problems at my age because I'm not going to change now. Um, I'm going to do what I think's best and what's right. Now, how do you I, know what's
1: best and for whom, right? Because you represent the district, there's the city of Frederick, the county of Frederick, the state of Maryland. You know, what is best? Well,
0: what's best is what you think will help the people and help the jurisdictions uh, you're you're serving. Mm -hmm. Um, I see people who watch the board and when they're voting, they're thinking, is this going to cost me votes or is it going to win me votes? Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not afraid to vote for something that will cost me votes if I think it's right.
1: Do you have an example of that that you've done in the Senate?
0: Oh yeah, a lot of things.
1: Do you have one you could share?
0: Uh, Same-sex marriage.
1: Marriage equality. The DREAM Act. So. Those have been, so marriage equality had been in the works in the American legislature for almost a decade before it actually passed, right? And and you, tell me about that story. Well, you know, I
0: came in with some of the same probably prejudices, not not quite as deep as some people did. I didn't know what I was going to do on that, and the same with the DREAM Act.
1: Mm -hmm. And Uh, for our listeners who don't know? uh,
0: The DREAM Act allowed... Uh, Hispanics or anyone that wasn't born here but you know might have been brought when they were two and three years old and went through the public school system to go to, to college in Maryland at in state rates rather than out of state rates and that was mostly what what that was about mm-hmm. but uh you know on the uh, marriage equality, a Republican sitting in front of me stood up and said uh, "My priest." doesn't want to have to marry couples of the same sex. And I wasn't necessarily going to speak on the subject, but I, I had to. I, I stood up and I said, you know, if you bother to read the bill, mm-hmm. your priest doesn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's up to each religion. But my preacher and my rabbi...
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are, Wait, say that again?
0: My preacher and my rabbi and everybody looked at me when I said <laughs> said that uh, my wife's a Jew so we both belong to the synagogue Huh? Uh, and I said they both support same sex marriage uh-huh. and so they're willing to do it so because your priest doesn't want to he doesn't have to mm-hmm. but don't tell me that my preacher and my rabbi can't because they support it Yes. and I said it's an individual a lot of these things are individual choices um I'm heterosexual and I'm married to a woman, but you know, someone else said, well, same sex marriage destroys marriage, no, it doesn't, if two people love each other Mm -hmm. and are happy together, how's that destroying marriage? What destroys marriage is divorce, I've been divorced,
1: you know, I know.
0: Uh, So it's an individual choice. You do what you want. Don't tell someone else
1: how they have to live. So were there any consequences to you supporting marriage equality while it was being struck down for so many years? Well,
0: actually, you know, that and and the DREAM Act and some other things, the President of the Senate came back and said, you're voting too liberal for your district. And I said, no, I'm voting what I think is right.
1: Was the president of the Senate saying that because he was concerned that you would lose re-election? Yes. Or because he wanted...
0: He was he was concerned that I'd lose re-election. So it was out
1: of a sense of friendship that he was saying this to you?
0: He likes having deeds there.
1: <laughs> Democrats, right. Yeah.
0: And he's a, he sometimes, you know, uh, doesn't know what to do with me. And yeah. He gets upset with me sometimes, and somebody asked him to describe me in one word, and he said tenacious, because... Uh, he, he even told me, once you care too much about what you're doing, and I said, that's what I'm here for. How you know? did you
1: care too much about what you're doing?
0: Well, because you fight for it. And it's like this gentleman thing. I don't, you know, he, he loves the committee system. It's a good system. Mm-hmm. But you have some committees that just, as far as I'm concerned, have their head in the mud and, mm-hmm. can't, and don't support anything. Um, death with dignity was my bill. Uh, I had the votes on the floor to pass that. Is that
1: physician-assisted suicide? No. It's no,
0: no assisted suicide. That's me saying if I want to end it, I can. There's no assistance.
1: Meaning that you can commit suicide yourself.
0: Yes. Uh, but the bill allows a doctor to prescribe the medicine. An
1: overdose. Uh,
0: whatever, yeah. It's not, not necessarily overdose, but it's a, a drug that will kill you. Yeah, And... Uh, You know, again, that's a personal choice. I don't know that I would ever do that, but you know what? I'd like to have the option. Uh, My sister passed away this summer, and I flew down and spent a few of her last days with her. Sorry to hear that. Thank you. Uh, She had tears in her eyes, and she said, I wish we had that. She said, I can't take this pain. And uh, so I I think it ought to to be a, a personal choice. Well, I was upset, and I made the comment that But my last year in the legislature, if that hadn't passed, I was going to try to take it around the committee to the floor. You can't do that. Well, you know, I believe in it, and uh,
1: so why did it fail?
0: Couldn't get it out of that committee.
1: But isn't if there's enough votes in the in the Senate, can't you override the committee and bring it straight to a floor vote?
0: Legally, you can. Nobody does it. It's just like a no-no. And uh, that's why I said I would do that by my last time there. It would if it be an effective passed.
1: ouster of the president, wouldn't it?
0: Well, it, it would start a precedent of going against uh, the committees and whatever. But I think there are times you do that. I think the legislature is always behind the public. Uh, there are people that still hang on. Um, on the uh, DREAM Act, mm-hmm. again, mm-hmm. one of the... Our senators, mm-hmm. you know, said, "Well, I'm not saying kids; these kids can't go to college. I'm yeah. just saying they should pay out-of-state tuition." Right. Well, out-of-state tuition is probably twice what their whole family makes. So you're telling them they can't go. Yeah. And uh, I said, one of three things will happen if they can't. They'll they'll end up working under the table. They'll find ways to get on social programs, or they'll join a gang and become criminals and. and guy said, then put them in jail. I said, do you know we've got these bright young people with 4.0 plus averages who want to be citizens and pay taxes and work and contribute. And you say, put them in jail, and one year in jail costs more than letting them go to college.
1: It's not free, jail, prison.
0: No, it's not free. Mm -hmm. And the college isn't free either. It just lets them go. At a rate that maybe they can put scholarships and work and help and get themselves through. Cobbled together. And make something of themselves. And that's that's what America's about. And to deprive them of that is just wrong.
1: Now, Miller, the president of the Senate, said to you that you were voting too liberal for your district. Yeah. Can you talk to me a little bit about District 3 and why they continue to reelect you to the Senate? Even if as the pre- is the president wrong, are you voting too liberal for the district, or are people more liberal than he thought, or are pe- are you more liberal sometimes than they are, but they still vote you in anyway? And if so, why?
0: Well, uh, my my seat was held by a Republican for thirty six straight years before
1: me, and you defeated that him when he was an incumbent. He didn't vacate the seat.
0: I defeated the incumbent that I think a lot of people thought couldn't be beaten. Mm-hmm. But last time, I had a really close election against somebody that nobody knew. Mm-hmm. We've become very polarized. I, we did a poll. Only 8% of the people even knew who my opponent was, but 90% of the Republicans said they were strongly behind him. Now, so my district votes 51 five 5 Republican. So I'm already at a disadvantage, and 90% of them are supporting my opponent, whoever they are. Say that
1: again. 51% of your district
0: votes Republican? 51.5 to 48-5 Democrat. So I, that's already against me, plus 90% of the R's are voting R, regardless. And then uh, I've supported the gun legislation.
1: So no matter how you vote in the legislature, while you remain a Democrat, you're getting 90% of Republicans voting against you in a general anyway. Yes. It doesn't even matter what your voting record is. Right. So why not just be as liberal as you need to be, because you're going to hate you one way or the other.
0: Well, I... I don't use the word liberal necessarily, but yeah, I vote on progressive. progressive issues because I think think they're right. But on the other hand, when I do that, I lose some Democrats too. Like I support the gun legislation. Democratic gun owners man, they don't want me. You uh, so you're
1: saying that some of your constituents are registered Democrats but own guns would rather not have firearm regulation. Right. And
0: you know, there are people that still have prejudices, you know, I don't believe in same sex marriage. On issues like that, you tend to lose votes. You don't tend to win them. It doesn't necessarily change somebody in your direction. So it's real difficult. So, um, has,
1: has there ever been a time when the only person left to console you is that man in the, in the mirror when you're shaving in the morning?
0: Uh, I've, I've always had. Do you know when I voted for same sex marriage, I had more people thank me for that than probably anything I've ever done. Uh, I had a guy stop me on the street that I've passed and spoken to for 20 years knowing by name not really he came over and gave me a hug and said thank you I'm gay I never thought about whether he was gay or straight I don't look at somebody and yeah. make those kind of judgments I had people conservatives I know came up, come up and thank me and say my granddaughter's gay my grandson's gay my son's gay thank mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. and so it's surprising but anyhow uh, I do it because I think it's right that people have their own choices and Um, You know, when I was mayor, I was told last term, you're doing too much. Uh, If you build Carroll Creek, you're going to lose. If Mm -hmm. you build the next parking garage, you're going to lose. And I said, then I guess I'll lose. And I did uh, after 16 years. But uh, they've all worked out.
1: So as mayor, you had so many different accomplishments, from the Carroll Creek flood control, the revitalization of downtown, of which the Carroll Creek was part uh, golf courses center for the arts to underground wiring under market street getting rid of telephone poles parking garages trees you did the <laughs> trees so you've done a lot and, and in, in that case you were an executive right because we've been speaking up to this point as being a legislator in the Senate and of course you also had been working for an elected official as a cab- deputy cabinet secretary right yeah. how do you how do you compare contrast the different roles <laughs> of government and how, how do they suit you?
0: um I love being an executive. You see something that needs to be done, Mm -hmm. you can plan it and do it and run it and make it work, and and you can really accomplish a lot. In the legislature, you vote and hope that it does good down the road. Um, And you gotta, you're one of a lot, and you don't have that much influence. And uh, also being from a, a rural area and whatever, they don't pay as much attention to you. Even the party, you know, I I was uh, elected Democratic mayor four times. I was the only Democratic mayor in the state other than Baltimore. Mm -hmm. I I never, not only did the state party never help me, I never got a thank you note from them Mm -hmm. or a congratulations note from them. And uh, President Miller does give me support. He wants to keep these, and he knows I'm on the edge, one of the vulnerable ones. And and that's great, but uh, you don't have six or eight or others from your county or for the urban areas or whatever, so uh, you're out there. And some of the more progressive people will throw up issues that uh, are way out on the edge and may not do as well back here. But the thing is, if I think it's the right thing to do, even though it's not right politically to help me, I still support it.
1: Now you mentioned that the Democratic Party hasn't been too active in supporting vulnerable Democrats. Democrats out in Frederick, the party structure as a whole across the nation seems to have a waning influence on electoral politics. As you see, the current presidential administration completely bucked the establishment of the Republican Party. Uh, you see the success of the ultimately unsuccessful campaign of Bernie Sanders, but the wildly popular nature of that campaign. You see movements like the Tea Party, which try to hold the Republican Party hostage in Congress, and you mm. see... They the do a good job of it, too. <laughs> and you see the Occupy Wall Street movement on the left. On the left. So what is the role of the party today in American politics? Uh,
0: it's tough. I, I think the parties have made mistakes. I, I know back under Governor Glenn Denning, and I totally disagreed with what they did... They kind of decided with the three jurisdictions of Baltimore City, Prince George's and Montgomery, and a little of Baltimore County, they could win without the rest of the state. And I think they campaigned that way. And I think it's writing off people. Uh, you end up having Democrats in those areas say, what's the use? I can't win. Mm-hmm. There's nobody supporting me. And uh, and I think in those campaigns, you know, they don't have to win all those counties. Just do better in them. Brown, no reason in the world he should have lost. One, he didn't campaign out in the places. For our listeners who don't know, Brown is Lieutenant
1: Governor Anthony Brown, who ran unsuccessfully for governor in twenty fourteen.
0: No, and is now in Congress.
1: Right,
0: ran worst campaign I've ever seen.
1: What was so bad about it?
0: He didn't do anything. He was cocky about it. He just assumed he was going to win. I mean, he was telling people, "Don't worry, I'm in." You man the day you start thinking that, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. I've, I've never thought that. I have campaigned so hard. Uh,
1: so there were thoughts that there wasn't an adequate ground game in that campaign, that there wasn't enough canvassing and there wasn't enough literature, not enough yard signs, and it was mostly just mail and and an air war with the comm- TV commercials and radio. And, 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 and What do you think
0: of that? And it was similar to the Trump campaign. It's, too much time talking about what was wrong with Hogan mm-hmm. instead of what was right with him mm-hmm. and again he wasn't out invisible and, mm-hmm. and open and it was, it was a terrible campaign there's no way we should have ever lost that um, I think we'll take it back next time but uh, we'll have to see
1: Is there any, there's a global tide of populism uh, that's taking effect in Europe and uh, in the United States sadly most
0: of it's negative stuff it's people that feel left out a lot of white men uh, I sometimes feel apologetic for being an older white man (laughs) Uh, and there's changing demographic trends that people don't recognize people you know people say I don't like anything the way it is but don't dare change it and uh, demographically I think this was the first year ever that uh, a child that was born white child that was born won't be the majority of the kindergartners that they enter school. Hmm. Um the immigration's there we've always had it and we've always had I mean if you look at Trump and go back to the Know nothing party in the 1850s yeah same thing it had the Irish and Italians yeah you know so there's a recurring say,
1: trend it's not something com- It's
0: it's something that I thought we had grown past, but it's been festering and there's a third of the population that just uh, is resisting change. They're like the president. They're uninformed and uneducated to to what's going on and have closed minds. And there's persistent
1: low voter turnout. You'd think if people are so upset about the way things are, they'd take a hand and they'd actually go out there. and and Well,
0: they they did in the presidential election. I mean, I think it was... The whole wrong direction, but they were upset and they came out. And uh, you know, we we've got to.
1: Uh, well, how do we give voters a positive reason to actually participate in their democracy? Voting being only one of many ways to do so. Well,
0: one of the things we we really have to do is create good jobs. The middle class is dying, and the middle class is what makes a country great. Mm-hmm. And the tax structure, and this this president got these people by promising him something and he's going the other way mm-hmm. uh, he's taking health care away from them and he's making the rich richer uh, under Eisenhower my God, the rich paid something like 90% taxes yeah, they're, they're way down now and they want to cut it farther uh, you know corporate welfare I don't, I don't want to pick on the same companies all the time but the Walmarts and Kmarts and Targets and mm-hmm. McDonalds and whatever uh, pay minimum wage so what do we end up doing? Them give them food certificates and housing assistance. So we're subsidizing their we're sub- employees. We're subsidizing their employees. Yet the four four uh, Walton brothers that own Walmart are four of the richest guys in the world. Mm-hmm. They could still be really rich and pay their employees. Right and. Uh, you know, we talk about minimum wage. We shouldn't. We shouldn't even be talking about minimum wage. We ought to be talking about a livable wage. Anybody that works 40 hours a week ought to make enough to at least know they can afford a place to live and put their kids in school and have insurance. Now some
1: people are pushed out of work by the con- by, by workforce contractions and, and being laid off by large em- uh, employers. And some of those individuals may say, well, you know what? I'm going to be an entrepreneur. This whole employment thing made me too vulnerable. I'm going to start up my own restaurant, my own business, my own accounting firm, mm-hmm. my own consulting thing. And if I'm going to have to do a minimum wage or if I have to do what you did, paid family medical leave act, yeah. You know, then that's going to be tough for me as a small business owner. I you know, know that the business act only applies if you have 10 or greater employees. But
0: well, something cold. if they can't make it with that, they probably shouldn't be in business. You know, a lot of people can go into business, and a lot of them are going to fail, and they always blame something mm-hmm. other than usually what causes them to fail.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: If, if you look at the companies that take care of their people, they generally do better. Mm-hmm. Uh, compare Costco to Walmart. Costco pays their employees higher. They give them health insurance. Mm -hmm. Costco makes more profit per square foot than Walmart does. Mm -hmm. Um, I had public radio on one day, and they had a guy from Seattle, Washington, who owned 32 pizza shops. Mm -hmm. Eight of them were in Seattle, and Seattle raised the minimum wage to $15. He fought it. He was on public radio saying, I fought it, but I had to raise them to $15 an hour. Mm -hmm. So I only had to increase my... uh, Pizza prices by about a percent and a half to two percent,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and my business increased. And I, I noticed my employees were working harder and they were happy, mm-hmm. and they weren't quitting. And I didn't have to retrain people. He said it saved me money. They're happier. I'm doing making more money. He said my 24 shops out of Seattle. I don't have to pay them 15 an hour, but I I feel guilty. And I saw what it does when you pay them. I'm going to raise them all to 15. And you have people say, oh, when you're raising minimum wage, people are going to get laid off. There's been survey after survey and study after study when minimum wage has been raised. Mm-hmm. It's never caused a loss of employment. What's causing loss of employment is automation. So, you know, we're going through an adjustment period and it, it's adjustments are tough, when, especially when you res- resist them. Um, there's a demographer who's head of the department at the University of North Carolina named James Johnson, who has a talk he gives on six, uh, six trends that are cha- changing the country. And like them or not, they're happening. And he puts cute names on them. One of them's called The End of Men.
1: Al Gore has a similar book
0: yeah. with sixteen And uh, he said 60% of the colleges, graduates today are women, and 70% of the professional degrees, women, are taking over. Uh-huh. Like it or not, it's happening. Um, the Browning of America... Back in my age, you never saw mixed uh, mixed race couples. Mm -hmm. Now, it's all over the place. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, the Browning is the change there. Uh, The graying of America. There are uh, thousands of baby boomers retiring every day. Mm -hmm. So, while we've had an unemployment problem, we're soon going to be short of workers. There was an article in our paper a couple weeks ago. They can't find employees at some of the local companies. Hmm. So, two things, we got to pay them, we got to train them, and we need immigrants, and, and we've got a 11 million, whatever the number is, Hispanics here, and most of them are hard workers, want to be citizens, want to pay taxes, we're going to need them to support people my age that are retiring, and uh, so that's another uh, another trend, and it's just, it's changing, the, the south will rise again. South's turning blue, you know. Texas, Georgia, recovering Florida. Recovering from the Civil North...
1: Rights Act, LBJ. Hmm? The South is recovering from LBJ and the Civil Rights Act.
0: Well, Hispanics and African Americans are moving south.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Virginia, North Carolina, Georgia, Texas, Florida. They're already purple,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and they're going to turn blue from you know the migration and and the whole South is. So again. You know, parties have to adjust. We have to adjust. The, the world's changing. You know, I, I hear people say, oh, I'm glad I don't have to be born today and live what they're facing. But, you know, it, the young people, it's their first time. Yeah, it was, My first time was different. Each has generation their own challenge. has their own challenge in a different time.
1: So, Senator Young, as we approach the end of this podcast, a final few questions for you. Sure. Um... You've given so much of yourself. I mean, first entering public service as an alderman in 1970. So we're talking 47 years ago. So almost yeah. you know 50 years in elected office or appointed office doing public service. Why?
0: Um, I've enjoyed it. Uh, I believe in passing it forward. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in a very very poor family. And my brother and I went different directions. All he th- all he thought about was making money.
1: And Did he end up making money? He made
0: money, yeah. Yeah, I can say, gee, I wish I'd made more money. But you know what? I have met the most interesting people, done the most interesting things. I've enjoyed what I've done. I, I look at my community and I feel pride. Um, so,
1: Can you even compare his fulfillment with your fulfillment?
0: Actually... I felt more. I know I felt more fulfilled than he has. More meaning. More meaning. He several times when we talked, and we weren't that close. Um, in his forties, he he got started reading books like "I'm Okay, You're Okay." Uh, he got the things he wanted, and he didn't feel meaning out of them. So he reset goals, and he reset the same ones. And uh, so I I hope he found. F- Happiness in his own way. I think people can find happiness in different ways. He he went one way, I, I went another, and uh, it's been important to me. I would have never gotten to college if it hadn't been for Frederick Community College. I couldn't afford to go away, uh, so I got through there. So uh, on the side, I'm an artist and I write. Uh, I have art shows, and I donate all the money into a scholarship fund at Frederick Community College. Uh, hopefully. I've already seen at least one that I know I helped and I hope I helped others. And with the
1: Dream Act you're trying to make college more affordable for others with the same through your legislative capacity.
0: For everybody, yeah. I mean I have a bill in for a free community of colleges
1: So, so that has been Senator Ron Young of District Three in Frederick. He a uh, former mayor of Frederick, Alderman of Frederick, a cabinet secretary, deputy secretary of planning and natural resources, a teacher and a public servant who speaks about the importance of paying it forward. He has intrinsic value in the service that he does, right? So, it's interesting people, interesting things. It's a fascinating life. New challenges every single day. But Senator Young uh, finds that for a variety of issues, he's able to, to uh, make small impacts here and there. Obviously, having been in an executive branch, more concrete, direct results of his actions. Legislative branch, bits and pieces, chiseling away over time. Cabinet, um, again, a little bit more direct, uh, immediate impact, since you're a member of the executive branch, and, and uh, ultimately, the sense of paying it forward uh, throughout nearly five decades of public service, and really giving back to the very community college that made his higher education and his dreams of um, public service possible. So. For Senator Young, public service is about taking care of those who have the most difficulty taking care of themselves. Whether it's the minimum wage workers, whether it's the the, uh, the kids who grew up here but don't have the right uh, legal citizenship status, uh, the individuals who've been pushed under the rug because they are, are in the, kept in the closet, as it were, with, and unable to publicly embrace their own sexual identity. Uh, I think. Uh, the, more, the, the the theme of Senator Young's story is the champion of the underdog the guys who really uh, wouldn't have anyone else were it not for him and uh, individuals of similar uh, persuasion as him so Senator Young I'd like to thank you so much for joining us today
0: uh, glad to and I'll use you for PR piece there at the end very good
1: <laughs> <laughs> that has been uh, episode thank you very much that has been episode 196 of Public Interest Podcast thanks so much for joining us This has been another episode of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. I'll remind you to subscribe on PublicInterestPodcast.com and on iTunes. Leave a review of this podcast on iTunes and listen on Stitcher, SoundCloud, CastBox, Blueberry, Player FM, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Should you wish to comment on this episode, you're welcome to leave a voicemail at 240-630-0380. And the first three minutes of that voicemail may be played in future episodes of Public Interest Podcast. Should you wish to support the podcast, you're welcome to leave a contribution in an amount that you feel comfortable with at publicinterestpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.